Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. I hope you're doing well. I have quite a few announcements for us. Uh, Bill Bailey wanted me to make sure that you knew about this. Uh, you probably didn't. Well, you, if you got the email, you know he had to be taken to the hospital uh, earlier in the week uh, with some blood clots in his lungs. And uh, he is home now as of yesterday. Praise the Lord. He was expecting not to come home until um, Sunday. Uh, today, but was able to be released and is feeling just 100% better. Uh, and so just ask for you to pray for him and for Fran. We certainly miss them, of course. And uh, just want to make sure that you had that update. And I'm sure we will be seeing them soon. They're not going to stay away, that's for sure. I want to thank those of you who worked so hard to help the guys out on um, Thursday morning uh, mowing the yard. And all of those, all of you who have a part in making the outside look pretty. We certainly appreciate that very, very much. I know Ron was so excited because he was not even able to get on the lawnmower. He had to do his favorite job of weeding, right? <laughs> which, which is not, <laughs> right? But it was such a good thing that uh, because there were so many guys that were out here helping mow. And so what a blessing. And so thank you for taking your time to do that. It takes everybody uh, to do this. John was here this week working on the stage and just takes all of us to keep things running. And so thank you so much for your help. You know, this is uh, the church that puts a lot of effort into the shoebox ministry, uh, Franklin Graham's ministry. And so I've uh, been doing that for a lot of years. The time is getting very close. And so uh, just understand that if you can come help sometime during the week, I know Deanna would love to have your help starting to pack some of these boxes. You look in the hallway, you'll see several big cartons of boxes already packed. And there are many more that have to be done. There'll be coming a date of when the packing party will be. Um, but um, actually, I'm sure it's on the calendar. I just didn't have it with me this morning. Um, in fact, Thea has also said that Sewing Sisters is going to be meeting this Saturday at uh, 9.30 to help make items for the shoe boxes. So ladies, if you enjoy sewing and whatnot, men, if you want to join, kids, if you want to join, I guess, Thea, that's okay, right? Anybody? All fun invited? Everybody welcomed. Absolutely. And so... Uh, that's happening. And then on October 23rd, I've been instructed to announce that there's going to be a 1950s sock hop. Okay? It's where you put the sock on the floor and you hop over it. I, I just, just kidding. Music by the infamous DJ Rick Haggard in our presence this morning right here. Special attraction, The Delights. And so hot dogs, hamburgers in the 50s style. I'm not sure what that means. Take your own risk in your own hands there. Um, for the shoebox ministry, it's October the 23rd. Dinner is at 5 p.m. And the sock hop will begin at 6.30. Uh, the contests are Little Elvis for 12 and under. Couples dance off. They don't know that we're Baptist. <laughs> Best costume, games, and prizes. Okay. <laughs> so... Anyway, some of you are going, what? What does that mean? <laughs> well, that's a long-standing joke and serious to some. Okay, so that's coming up, and we'll be announcing that more. A uh, couple other things here. Uh, you'll remember June Rodrigo. He has been with us numerous times, does the Filipino ministry that we've supported for quite a few years. I was talking to him the other day, and uh, the Philippines is evidently still pretty locked down. You can't get in or out, according to June. And so he has family there. As you know, he's Filipino himself, his wife, and of course still has family there. And they're collecting money or 
I guess food too, but predominantly money to ship boxes of food over there. It costs $85 to pack a 20 by 20 by something box. And whatever you can get in there, it doesn't matter the weight, as long as the box will contain it. For $85, they can ship food over there. And so I'm just mentioning that to you. If you want to take part in that, let me know, and we'll get you in touch with Brother June about how to go about helping them with the money there. Also, 40 Days for Life is just about ready to start. I mentioned this last week. You saw the little video uh, starting September 22nd all the way through the end of the month of October. And uh, Moira is going to be there. Moira Michaels uh, is going to be a part of all of that, has been very instrumental in that movement for a lot of years. And so she was in our early service. I don't see her here right now. But if you want contact of someone who's going to be there on site at the, for lack of better words, the abortion clinic here on Hydraulic, uh, so you don't have to go by yourself. We'll get you in touch with Moira, and she's going to have some dates of times that she'll be there. Okay, I think the first one's starting this Friday coming up. And so if you're interested in standing and praying uh, in a very um, loving, gracious way, then that's going to be available. Okay. All right, and then those of you who are willing to stay, we'd love to have you stay for our fellowship lunch. This is the second month. We're getting back in gear with that, and that's happening right after this service. So hopefully you came really hungry and uh, anxious to fellowship as well. Now, you know, we've also been praying for our ministry needs, and so uh, there are five things here that we've been presenting to you to pray. We hope that you'll add them to your own prayer list. We do need nursery workers, uh, whether we pay somebody or add some uh, as as volunteers. Of course, in any of these positions, volunteers are always best for any church. In fact, even when you're looking for staff positions, it's always best to have people just right out of your own congregation, people you already know. And so we're praying that God would give us wisdom in who these people might be, and maybe one of them are you, a couple of them are you, we don't know. And we'll let you decide that with the Lord, but we are praying for a couple nursery workers. Uh, there'll need to be more than a couple if it's uh, going to be volunteer, but if, if not volunteer, then it'll be at least a minimum of two that we would pay uh, every week to cover those spots. And I know there are a lot of things to think about with all of that, but just I'm going to have Brother Steve Sigler come and pray over these things. Brother Steve is one of our, our, our dear brothers, member for a long time, and uh, so um, he is Tom uh, Tom Selleck's brother. Some of you don't <laughs> some of you don't know that it's true. So it's really not it's really not true, but I love to give him fun time about that. Come on, Brother Steve, and, and pray over these things, if you will. They're right here. <laughs> and these, uh, these are some needs that have been mentioned over the past two or three weeks. Uh, two nursery workers. You mentioned a children's ministry director. Someone to come along, alongside Patrick Scott to help him in his ministry. Someone to lead the 20-something group. And someone to help us, the church, Pray with me, please, over these. Heavenly Father, we come to your throne room. Uh, you have invited us to bring our needs to you, and this is your church, Lord. You, you uh, supply all the needs. You provide workers. You provide all the, uh, all the needs to cover what needs to be done here, Lord. And we ask you to, to stimulate, to have your, your Holy Spirit prompt us to uh, respond to your call. Um, these, may be need, these needs may require skills. 
that we already have. Some, some may already have these skills, but they may be skills that could be taught and learned. Father, help us to have hearts that are prompting, that are, that are eager to um, jump at the chance to serve you and, and uh, have our feet and our hands and our mouths available for your work. That's the first uh, step, Lord, is making ourselves available. We trust you to give us the power, the skill, um, the ability, as you did with your apostles, to do the work that you put before us. Thank you for your provision for this church, Lord, and we ask that you uh, use your spirit to move among us to provide these helps that are needed. In Jesus' name I pray. Steve. Yeah, just can't emphasize enough. Thank you, Steve. Can't emphasize enough for you to add these to your list of prayer needs here for the church. We want to be relevant in the community, and uh, we want to be effective in what we're doing. And we know that we can't do that unless we have people to help us with all of this. Okay? All right. So turn with me, if you will, in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 10. We have already looked over the last couple of weeks at verses 1 through 4. As I said last time, uh, we did cover the first four apostles. I'm not going to take time to cover the others. We will get to Judas uh, in passages to come, and so I'll deal with him as we get to, to that. Uh, the other brothers are, are God's dear servants and um, have been very effective in the use of the, the work of the Lord, but we're not going to take time to to go through each one of those men's lives. We could, I probably could preach a message just on each one of them and the effect that God had in them and on them and how he used them, but uh, we're not going to spend time on that right now. So please stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. 5 through 15. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your, your, your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. In whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. All right. You may be seated. All right. So there's quite a bit in this. And so let me just break down this, really the balance of the chapter. If you wanted to remind yourself of uh, what the chapter is all about, it is basically instructions. Okay? So that's a quick way to remember. It is an instruction to several groups of people. The first is what we just read to the 12. That's the 12 apostles. Okay, So the Lord is giving very specific instructions, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, to the 12. Now, in verses 16 through 23, 
It is instruction to future disciples. That becomes clear as well as we get to that in the future. The latter section, verses 24 through 42, are instructions for present-day disciples. Okay, So that's where we'll find most of things fitting in with us. But for today, we're not going to make the 12 so unique that we can't glean some instruction from this, even though to them, for us. And so that's what I'm going to try to do this morning. So I've just simply entitled this Instructions for the 12 Apostles. Okay, But you can put the little tag in there that this is going to be for us as well. Now, just backing up a little bit, you know, if you are a student of Scripture, you've been following with us or just in your own studies, that the Lord has used a process up to this point in Matthew's writings to accomplish his purpose. And that number one purpose, or at least facet that he used, was to awaken the disciples spiritually. They needed to have their souls opened. Remember, they're blind. All people are blind. They're sinful. We all come into the world sinful, but they need to have their souls awakened and so they can see the truth of, of who God is. And so that's what's already happened. Then, once that happens, God called them into service. And that's where we've been in these latter studies. And now, as I've been saying, he's going to give to them instruction for that service. And I really think that's important to remember, that being instruction for service, because uh, God is not just someone who wants to send somebody out without any understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. You may have felt that way in the past and looked at your life as a Christian and said, what am I supposed to do? What is my real role in life? And how am I supposed to accomplish this? Well, God does give instruction. And so it would be wise to heed them as you listen to this this morning. In fact, you probably heard the expression that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. Right? You ever heard that before? It's really a very powerful statement and really and one that should be taken uh, advantage of because uh, it really takes away any of the fears or dispels any kind of concern that God has not given me the ability to do what I need to do. It is God's purpose to give to each of his servants everything that they need to accomplish the specific purpose that he has put them here on the earth for. Mine's different from yours, yours is different from mine, and you're all different from each other, but God has given to you very specific abilities, not only giftedness, but talents as well, to serve him. Okay, But you need some instruction in all of that, which is why here we have this given to us this morning. In fact, one of the things God has done is he's given to us pastors, teachers. I'm so thankful for those people that have gone ahead of us, aren't you? I know even for me, my mom and dad were some of the greatest instructors of the Bible that I ever had in my growing up years. It was weird for me because I could often listen to my dad teach or my mom teach when I was a young child in Sunday school, and she was a teacher by trade anyway, and she would just make the text come alive. I can remember vividly some stories she would teach over, and they just kind of faded in the background as being my mom and dad and became these amazing teachers, and I learned so much from them. And uh, really, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to equip you, and that's our role from Ephesians, to uh, be the saints who do the work of ministry. That's why we're calling on the church to pray and to look to areas that you can serve in because we all have a purpose in everything that God is doing in us. And so just to get more clarity on all of what I'm saying, let's look now, beginning in verse 5, at what Jesus specifically does. And I've broken this section up into several areas 
that I think will help us to get a grasp around what he's doing. Number one, Jesus is going to give them a central focus. Okay? In his instruction to the twelve, he gives them a central focus. Notice again what he says in verse 5. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Okay, now you know that Gentiles were non-Jews. Samaritans were half-breed Jews and Gentiles. And so the Samaritans hated the full-blood Jews and the full-blood Jews hated the Samaritans and they were just considered a wicked bunch from both angles. And so we have this interesting instruction from the Lord to the Twelve saying, don't go to these people. Now you might be thinking, really? The Lord really doesn't like the Gentile people? He doesn't like the Samaritan people? No, that's not what he's saying here. He again is giving the Twelve initially a central focus. And we know he loves these other people because many places in Scripture God just does display his love and affection. In fact, he's already done that. If you go back far enough or just even the preceding chapters, you'll see where the Lord has done great works of healings and many miracles for the the Gentile people and even the Samaritans in that case. And so that's certainly not the issue here, but God is giving the twelve a central focus. Okay. Now, in that, he is also giving his priorities. So I guess you could use that synonymously if you wanted to with a central focus or priorities. But he's really wanting them to know that I I have a particular task for you and it's reasonable. It's going to be very reasonable. And so let me show you what I mean. Years before the disciples came on the scene and even before Jesus came on the scene, you know, again, if you're a student of scripture, God had chosen the Hebrew people to be his people. Very clear from scripture. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 11 and following, you see that God laid his hand or called, if you will, a man named Abraham. And he said, "You will be the father of many, many nations. Many people will come from you." And you can also see this by where he placed them. In fact, God uniquely chose this group of people and placed them very strategically in the very location that he has them even today. Now, that doesn't mean that the Jews aren't living everywhere, but God uniquely chose this place called Palestine for them to be. And some have asked the question, well, why did God choose the Hebrew people? Why did God do this through Abraham? And everyone that I know of would back up and say, I can't tell you that. All I know is, is that God says that he chose this people to be the father of many nations. In other words, God started somewhere and he started there because he had his own plan. Now, the second reason would be, why are these people there? Uh, Why did he put them specifically in this promised land of Israel? Well, that's because in the day, and pretty much kind of still now, but mostly in the day, it was known as the crossroads of the world. It was the intersection right there against the Mediterranean Sea where the northern trade routes and the southern trade routes would come together. And many, many groups of people from all walks of life would come through that location as small as it is. And so God very purposefully and strategically put them there so that they would become the witness nation of his glorious saving ability. Isn't that just like our father to do that? And what's so beautiful about that is, is we could translate that to us and we would say the same thing, that God has done the same thing in us. And so I'll talk about that in just a minute. But just know that God is a God of priorities. And then there is the instruction in all of this for us as well, meaning as much as you and I are called to make disciples and to be disciples ourselves, we know we can only do so much, right? 
I mean, it's easy to get overwhelmed with the call of God on our lives. We, we sense the need that the world has and we feel passionately about making sure that people hear the glorious truth of the gospel. But if you're like me, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you go, Lord, it's just too big, it's too much. Uh, it's just, I just can't handle all of this. Well, God understands that. But that's exactly why in his priorities, even for us, he puts us where he does said this many times over the years if you've listened to the sermons that I've preached, and that is even for us as a church, it's not an accident that God has us right here on Airport Road. Now, our forefathers, if you will, saw the land and thought, boy, this would be a great place for a church, and maybe in their minds this is what they were thinking, all motivated by the Spirit of God. Let's buy that land. But in the background, I believe that God was saying, yes, that's exactly what I have for you, and I want you there as a witness to the rest of the community around you. Right now we look around and we say, gosh, look at the growth that's happening. I mean, we're getting a brand new sheets for crying out loud. I mean, how much better could life be, right? So just what we need, right? (laughs) But the community is just growing. If you're paying attention to the housing market, you see all of the community growing around us. And here we are, this little bitty church just plopped right down in the middle of it, almost like it's some kind of mistake. And in some cases, it may be an irritation for people who want the property. And nobody's come offered us a couple billion dollars. But, you know, if they do, we'll chat with them. They'll be okay. (laughs) We're open, right? Uh, But so far that's not happened, and I have to believe that God has a purpose for us, right? He strategically located us in this particular spot, first of all, to reach the people around us. Not even all of Charlottesville. There are other brothers who have churches, pastors, that are doing that in other places of the city. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't reach out into other places of the city, but predominantly God has first and foremost put us here. Okay, now that's us as a church. You could extrapolate that even into your own individual lives. You live in a house. I mean, most of you do. You are in a particular place. It's no accident that you're there. It's no accident that you have the neighbors that you do. Now, you may not like your neighbors, but that's something you need to talk to God about. They're there because God has you there as his witness person to be a voice and a light of the gospel to the people around you. You see, it's that specific. Where you work, you're there with those co-workers, those particular people, and you say, why do I have to be with these people? Well, it's because you are the light of the world to those people. You are the salt of the earth, and God knows that he can trust you, and he can use you. And so your priority right now is to take care of the people that are around you by showing love and grace and mercy to those people. Right? Okay. So now um, we've got to make sure that we pay attention to that. All of this is why I say why the Lord is also reasonable. Again, he knows that we can't do it all by ourselves, and so he's very specific in what he does and how he puts us in the places that he wants us. So just understand in all this that God had a unique purpose for the 12. They were going to be very instrumental. We know already that they would become the foundation stones of the church and, and much more even into eternity, but they had a certain responsibility, and they needed to learn to obey him. This is part of the process too. He had called them. He had called them to serve. And now these were some tests. Are you going to obey me? Are you going to do what I've given to you to do? Are you going to follow the assignment that I've given to you? And you might say again, what assignment? Well, just take the words that I used a moment ago. You're where you are physically in your location in life as a part of your assignment. 
And so God is saying to you, hey, I've given you an assignment. What's my assignment, Lord? Reach the people right around me. Well, how am I going to do that? Glad you asked. That's why he goes through the instructions that he does. Okay. Now, all of that is what we need to understand. In fact, all of this really is a principle of reaping and sowing. In fact, if you understand Scripture, you know that there are numerous places in the Bible where God talks about how if you do this, you'll receive this. Okay? Now, it's not a prosperity kind of thing, so get rid of that thinking. But it is the idea that what you do with what I give to you, I will multiply. What you don't use, then I'll take away from you. And that's seen in the parable of the talents in, in Matthew 25. If you've read that, you know the story. It's a spiritual illustration of God saying to the people, I'm going to divide those who work for me from those who don't work for me in a spiritual sense, meaning this is a salvation parable. But there's still interesting information that we can use in our context for today. If you remember the parable, it's the story of a landowner who is God himself, who has a couple of servants. One of those he gives five talents to, Another one he gives two talents to, and the last one he only gives one. The first two, the one with the five and the one with the two, go out and they double their talents by effort and work. And so the, the, the master is very pleased with them. But the last servant was afraid, afraid of the master, because the text says that he was concerned about his sternness. And so he hid his talent. He didn't do anything with it. He was apparently excited that he had the talent. Listen to what I'm saying here. But yet he didn't do anything with it. And so when he encounters the master, the master comes in verse 28 and says, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, in those verses you see the salvation message there. The person that I have given the the witness of the gospel to and does nothing with it is an unbeliever and a person who will be cast away into darkness eventually. But again, for our context here, I think we could say easily that the Lord also gives to us specific purposes mainly to reach people with his gospel. But if we don't use what he's given to us, then more than likely he'll take away from us what's not being used. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation, but it does mean that we miss the blessings of God in what he wants to provide for us. And so if you don't follow God by faith, it's very possible, beloved, and I'll just say this as lovingly as I can, but it's very possible you may not be born again at all. Okay? That's a real reality. So examine your heart. It's kind of a faith test here that the Lord has given to the 12 in the sense of priorities. Okay, and we'll look at that a little bit more, that kind of subject here in just a second. Let's go on to verse 7 because here's another point. After he establishes the priority for the 12, here's, what our, here's who I want you to go to, he then gives them the message. Isn't this great? So the disciples don't have to say, well, okay, Lord, we're going to go out, but what do we say to them? It's like the Lord is saying, I already know what's in your mind, so here's the message I want you to give them. Verse 7, go and preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He even tells them exactly what to say. 
Now you remember that phrase because we saw it in Matthew 5, in verse 35. It really became the foundation of everything that Jesus was doing. He said of himself, at least Matthew records for us, he says, his message was the kingdom of God is at hand. He came to preach the glorious message of salvation, that he was the Savior, he's the Messiah coming. And so now, as his time is beginning to end and he's going to go back to the Father, he's not wanting the message to stop And so who better to give it to than the 12 he's called together? Makes perfect sense, right? Now, sadly, as much as that message is really the message of all the messages of the Bible, many people don't come to salvation because they don't know what the message of the church is. There is an inundation of people in churches today who really could not tell you what the message of the Bible really is. And we never want to be like that. You know, some people will look at it and say, it's so big and there's so much there. In fact, my wife and I had a little encounter at a picnic not long ago with a guy from China, a young man, and he was just a really neat little guy and um, very inquisitive about the Bible. He wanted to know a lot. And so, you know me, I like to talk. And so I said to him at one point, well, I need to take you back to the book of Genesis. And he looks at me and he says, that's going to be a long story. (laughs) I said, yeah, I understand. I'll be very brief. Okay, but some people look at the Bible and they say, oh, it's just so much. How can I, how can I ever digest it all? Well, let me give you the simple message of the Bible. It simply is this, is that God came for the lost. Every man, every woman, every boy, girl is lost. And they need a Savior. That's the message of the Bible. If you want to know what God is saying through his word, through all the illustrations of Israel and all the instruction. Now, there's instruction to people who are already his children and know that. That's much of what the epistles are about, the letters that Paul wrote and the other disciples. But the real meaning of the Bible is that man is lost and needs a savior. And today, too often I'm afraid, the church, and I'm using that in a universal term, is getting lost in what looks good, what feels good, what sounds good, and throwing away everything that doesn't feel comfortable. Whether it's from the acoustics to the aura of the room, even to the message that God has for them. And so many people really don't understand this simple message. And praise the Lord, God has given his son to set us free so that we can have the salvation that he has come to give us. Now, here's another thing. Look at verse 8, if you will. Jesus also gives them the tasks to perform. Not only has he given them the message to preach, but he gives them the actual tasks to perform. Notice he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, Freely receive you, for you have freely received, so freely give. Well, the question becomes... Why would the 12 be specifically given these instructions? I mean, of all the things to do, why would he say this? Well, I think there are two reasons predominantly. I'm sure there are others, but two really that jump out at me. And number one is these are the exact things that Jesus himself did. If you just go back in Matthew's letter and you remember some of the healings that God had done while he was on the earth here to prove his deity, these were the very things. He did heal the sick. He did raise the dead. You remember the leper that he cleansed? That was the first miracle, in fact, that Matthew recorded. He cast out numerous demons from people. 
And so the simple thought would be, as you're going, I want you to be known as my disciples. I want people to know that you are from me. You have to remember that the full scriptures weren't written yet. And so there needed to be great evidence given of who the Lord is. And so this was proof that they were from him. Secondly, though, and I think this is just as important and what's really uh, impacting to us also is that these healings would show God's heart for hurting people. That's really exciting to me, that God is a very tender and very compassionate God. And because just like in our day, and especially in Jesus' day, without the kind of medical care that we have here, physical suffering was a huge problem. We've talked about this numerous times over. And so as Jesus was on the earth, he looked at the hurting people, and he had such a tenderness for them, and he wanted them to be able to see him for who he is. Such a concern, such a compassion for people. And I hope you never miss this about the Lord. Understanding, and I'll talk about this in a minute, because the Lord brings this into full picture, full scope and view for us of who he really is as God. But what the world wants is a God who is compassionate and gracious and merciful. Well, here he is. This is him. And he wants the world to know this even in the day that he was in the earth and wanted the 12 to be witnesses and examples of that. And so the point for us is when we want people to know we're from the Lord, we need to have specific goals in mind. I think that's pretty clear. Or some kind of specific task, which is, number one, to let people know that Jesus loves them. I mean, if you can't think of anything to say to somebody, look at them with your lovely face and say, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Do you know how many people are in this world who know nothing about what true love is? I mean, I talk to them all the time. There are people in this world who know nothing about true love. And so just the simple message of saying, hey, I have a neighbor. I have a coworker. I live in this specific house. I've got the community right around my church. I'm just going to tell people, you know what? There's a God who loves you. And they may think you're crazy because to the world, nobody loves, really not in the way that they want love, but our God does. And that's the message that they need to hear. They need to hear that not only does he love you, but he is willing to set you free from the burdens that you feel and carry in your heart. And tell me there's one soul who doesn't feel that in life somehow. There's some burden that they want to be set free from. Folks, listen, that's real love. And the message of God's people is to give out that kind of message. And so Jesus came to the people who were hurting the most. Remember he said, it's not the well who need the physician, but it's the sick. And you and I have the message, and so did the 12. And so as we think about that, our task then should be to focus on that. If somebody puts, if God puts somebody in front of you that moment, that day, then take advantage of it. Try to meet the need. Ask what you can do to help them. That's a great question. Hey, what can I do for you? Now, when you ask that question, you got to mean it, right? James is pretty good about making this clear. Don't just say to somebody, oh, hope you have your need fulfilled. Hope God fills it. But you actually open your heart to them and try to do what you can to help them. And then always point them to Jesus. You can do that by leaving a tract. That sounds like it's really old school. But you know what? Old school works just as well as new school. And so you leave them something about Jesus or the church or something spiritual. Let them know that you're part of a great church, that you love your church, 
Even if it's not Laurel Hill and you go to a place that you love, let them know about that and invite them to hear more about Jesus. My wife and I were just in a store just the other night and we were talking to a lady we hadn't seen in a long time. Our kids went to school together over in Greene County and she said to us, she said, you know, um, I've, I've kind of taken on, and I, I don't have her words exactly right, but I remember her making this point, that I, I've taken on the, the idea that I, I need to try to make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, really, God is the only one that can make the difference. And so I'm taken to social media. And you know social media is just inundated with all kinds of garbage out there and people's ideas. But also what a wonderful platform to just reach into people who you know in fact, she was telling us about a lady that, a young lady that she's texting back and forth with and uh, not really having any verbal conversation with, but she's using text as a mean to, means to witness to her and to share the love of God with her. And so there's just all kinds of ways to go about this. The point is, is that if you know somebody that's hurting or if you're hurting, you have the message. You have the help. You have the answer for them. Now, the Lord may not heal them specifically of what they're wanting to be healed from, but he certainly will help them get through that. And he's proved that over and over again in time. I wish we had time to go through all the possible ways, but we don't. And notice going on, Jesus says to the 12, you received all this freely, now go and give the message freely without personal gain. In other words, your motive is not to receive something back. That's not why we do this. God has already given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven, hasn't he? Now, Jesus is the one who holds the keys. understand that, but just understand my phrase. He's given us the privilege of joining him in heaven one day. And also, just as a little disclaimer here, this is not saying that it's not still okay to pay the preacher. Right? So he's not saying here, oh, good, we don't have to do that. No, it's still okay to do that. In fact, the Lord tells us that uh, a worker is worthy of his hire. In fact, we just saw that back in the in the parable of the talents. But his point to the 12 here is don't take advantage of God's kindness. God has freely given to you the kindness of his own heart. Now you do the same for others. And folks, can I just say that's really how we ought to be looking at the world? God has so blessed us with his own kindness and his own generosity how foolish it would be of us to hoard what God has given to us. Okay? It's good. It's easy for us to do that, isn't it? Man, I like my stuff. I don't want to let it go. But God gives to us so that we will freely give back. And then one of the things we're really, 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 really stingy with is the gift of salvation. We hold on to it tightly. It's mine. It's precious to me. And it should be. But the truth is, it's such a beautiful gift to us. God says, I didn't give it just to you. I want you to share that gift with others. Now, you have no ability to save somebody. You understand that. But you do have the message. And so I hope you're getting the point. Sadly, this whole concept of taking from God has almost ruined the church over the years. People in leadership, and I don't have to tell you the stories, who have exploited people for money, even claiming to forgive or having the power to forgive just to receive money for it, or power or whatever else. But only God can do that. In fact, Isaiah said, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. Isaiah 53, 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray, each have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus is the forgiver of our sins. 
when he said in Matthew 9, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven when he healed the paralytic who was lying on the bed. Man doesn't have that ability. So man has no right to take what was freely given to him, but only to offer to others who are in such great need. So search your hearts. Look at your life. Ask God to show you who is it in my realm of influence, whatever little or large it is, that I can be a blessing to. Because my real goal should be to share the gospel with them. That's the message of truth. Okay? Let's keep going now and look at a third thing here. God gives the 12 really as a faith challenge by withholding the basic necessities of life. It's an interesting thing here in verses 9 through 10. I think this is instruction on trusting the Lord for everything. So he gives them the plan. He gives them the message. He says to them now, you're going to have to trust me. Okay? And we're not real great at that either, and that's why he elaborates on this. Notice Jesus says, take nothing with you. No money. And you go, what? what? (laughs) I was okay until you said that. No money? Nope, no money. No belongings, bag, two coats, sandals, and not even any protection. That's the staff. Now, the bag was probably what you would think is a supply bag, like a knapsack kind of a thing, to carry food and stuff. Don't take that. Two coats, what's that? Well, it would be normal to have a coat, but it would be really kind of abnormal and only for those who are most supplied to have a second coat. That was the one that they would use as their outer garment to keep them warm or to protect them from the elements. And so the Lord says, don't take the outer garment. Just go with what's on your back. Sandals, those are for protection of the feet. Pretty important, right? It's a rocky place over there. Don't take those either, meaning extra ones. He wasn't commanding them to go barefoot. Self-protection. They would have had probably a walking stick, and Mark makes this clear because in his own passage on this, he says that don't take anything except for a staff. Well, that would seem contradictory to Matthew and Luke, and so just understand it to be that the walking stick is one thing, but to take something that would be to use to stave off uh, the enemy is another thing. Don't protect yourself. That's not, I I want you to 100% trust me. That's what he's saying to them. 100%. And you know as well as I do, when you're stripped of the basic necessities of life, it's awfully hard to trust anybody for anything. You strive, I strive, to meet our basic necessities. But the Lord says, no, I want you to trust me. And that was, this was a unique thing. This is not the Lord saying to all of us, strip yourself of everything. He's not saying to us right now this morning, Laurel Hill, go home and get rid of all of your stuff. Empty your cabinets, sell your house, get rid of your cars, and go outside and live under a tree. He's not saying that. Now, as much as I'm saying that, if God does say that to you, you need to obey him. But this is not an instruction. Remember, this is instruction for the 12. We're just gleaning some insight as he's giving it to them. What he does want, however, is to be willing, is to pray and say, God, if this is the kind of life you want me to live, then I will. And we have someone we support in ministry who is very close to this, in my opinion. He's our resident John the Baptist, in my mind. That's Howie and Debbie Campbell. How many miles have those precious folks traveled in that bus we gave them and and just lived off of what God provided for them? 
And we've looked at that over the years and thought, boy, I don't know if I can do that. I told Howie that many times, brother, I don't, I just don't think I could live that life that you're, you're living. And he said to me, then don't. God didn't call you to do this. But he did call me to live the life he called me to live in, right? You see the point? So again, the point for the 12 was, trust me, I will provide for you. And even if our work is not like the 12, God has promised he will meet our needs, Philippians 4.19. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. And, uh, you know, there there are people just like Howie and Debbie. Uh, You remember the young guy, Brady? who came when Jordan, my son, our son Jordan preached. Do you remember here, if you were here that Sunday? He was raising money to support himself with InterVarsity on JMU's campus. Um, well, prior to him, well, the day he came, he was at 20-some percent, I guess, of his funding that he needed. Well, we saw him just a couple weeks ago uh, at a football game, and just kind of by happenstance, we were literally crossing a road, and he comes the other direction. And uh, I said, Brady, hey, how are you? And I said, by the way, how did your... How's your fundraising going? He says, it's a miracle. He says, literally, within 48 hours of me having to make a decision of what I was going to do full time, all of my money came in. All of it. And it's just, praise the Lord. So we were standing there literally on the side of the street in Harrisonburg, just praising the Lord for what God does. God has promised when he sends us out, he will provide. Right? These are the messages that he wants the 12 to get. Now, just the last couple things and we'll be done. Fourthly, he wants them to build a support team. A support team. Notice in verse 11 again. Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy and stay at that house until you leave the city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Interesting. Verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Now, what's the Lord saying here? Well, what he's really saying is as you go in your daily going, look for the people who are most sensitive to your mission. Again, that's why we have people we support as a church. We have all this group of people, and you can look at that list of people's names, and there'll be people that have come to us And we have supported them because we're sensitive to their mission. They have built a support team. And that's kind of what the Lord is saying here. This idea of worthy doesn't mean rich folks necessarily. Don't just go look for the rich folks, but take what I give you. Worthy in the sense of people who care about your message. In other words, look for the godly people. Those people who will pray for you. Those people who will support you and encourage you and help you get the message out. That's why I'm calling this the support team. Don't, I'm not calling you to do this on your own. This is all of God's understanding. He's reasonable, isn't he? God is not wanting us to do everything on our own. And so he's not saying also stay away from the hard places to witness. If that were the case, there would be a lot of people who would never get the message of the gospel. Again, back to our brother Howie and Debbie, our, our sister. They go in places that you and I would probably not go regularly to the biker gangs and to those that are on the street and whatnot. So they go to some hard places. What he is saying is don't focus your energy on the people who don't want to hear the message. Don't focus your energy on the people who don't want to hear the message. In that case, God very clearly says, let them go. Surrender them to me and let me deal with them. 
And he will. In fact, he says this very infamous Jewish expression, shake the dust off of your feet. We've used that over the years as just a figure of speech, but it was a literal thing that the Jews would do back in the day. In fact, if they walked outside of the borders of Palestine into pagan lands, they would call it, and come back, when they came across the border, they would literally take off their sandals and kick the dust off their feet, whatever sand or items were on there, because they felt like they were coming back onto holy ground and they would be bringing unholy land into holy ground. And so when Jesus gives this expression to the disciples, they would have very clearly understood what he's talking about. Shake the dust off of your heart. Don't worry about them. Now, if you've had this kind of personal illustration or situation happen, you know what I'm talking about. There probably have been people that you have tried to minister to over the years. You've worked hard at getting the message to them and they constantly keep rejecting you. This is what the Lord is talking about. Now, in your situation, it could be somewhat unique, but the overall emphasis is don't waste all your energy on people who don't want to hear. Leave them to me. I had a guy that I used to work with, loved him to death. In fact, we used to run on our lunch break when I was in in the secular world and working in manufacturing. Every noon we would go for an hour for a run we'd come back get cleaned up and and so it was always in my heart to witness to him and to share with him the truth of the gospel just like I'm talking about here but I never forget the day where he looked at me very sternly and this was after a couple years of witnessing to him and kind of the yeah 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 kind of thing he finally just looked at me and said Bruce don't ever bring this up to me again and I said okay I won't And I never did. And to this day, I don't know where he is or what God has done with him. I pray that he's okay. Spiritually, I'm talking about in all other ways. But the Lord is saying, look, don't worry about people that you can't affect. Let me take care of that. Give the message. Do your best. And let me take care of it. Okay? Which is why now the Lord says or gives this final instruction. Why being, leave them to me. Here's the deal. Look at verse 15, and we'll close with this. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now that would be a very sobering reminder to the twelve. Because they were men who had been through much Hebrew school. They would have understood from Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah, probably even better than we do because they're closer in timing to it all. And, you know, things get forgotten over time. But we did get the message from God back in Genesis. Now, I'm not going to take us back to that. You can read about that in Genesis 19. But just understand, the story is that Sodom and Gomorrah were two of the most wicked cities in the world, apparently at the time. And God comes to destroy them. And Abram tries to keep him from doing so and eventually whittles him down to not destroying the city if there's at least ten righteous people there. Imagine that. That's not many folks. And so he goes down, Jesus goes down, and that's who this is. We're told he is a messenger of the Lord, and uh, so no doubt he has angelic hosts with him to these two wicked cities that are filled with every form of wickedness when it comes to sexual sin, and that's specifically the subject that's brought up, even homosexuality, 
uh, and from one sexual sin, there will always be more. It's never just one. It's always something else because that's what our sin does, right? When it gravitates towards one thing, it always gets bored with this and exploits something else. And so no doubt this city was filled with even more than this. In fact, we're told that the men of the city wanted to have sex with the angels who were protecting Lot and his family. Now, Lot was Abraham's nephew who was living in the city. Again, you can read about all that in chapter 19 of Genesis. So if you can imagine that kind of scene, the Lord is bringing this back up to the 12. Why is he doing this? It seems to be out of place or out of context. It doesn't seem to fit the scenario at all of what he's trying to instruct the 12 on, but it really does. He's basically saying, because of the sin of that city, God destroyed them. This is how sin affects people, and even God is affected. And today, even to this day, there's no trace of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're told that in Genesis, God literally pounded it with hailstones, burning with fire. Sadly, many people, and I want to say this as lovingly as I possibly know how, very sensitively, because people who are in the LGBTQ community are people who are not listening clearly to the scriptures. Many in that community will say, well, that was a different God. That's not the same Jesus. And Jesus of the Bible of the New Testament would never do that. The God of the New Testament is kind and gracious and merciful. And all of that is 100% true if your Jesus is a different Jesus from the Bible. And again, I say that lovingly. I don't say that to condemn. But the Jesus of the Bible is the same Jesus of the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. If you heard me a minute ago, I said Jesus is the man, the God, who came and met with Abram who went to destroy those two cities. Again, the community of LGBTQ will say that, no, our God is loving, he is kind, he is merciful, he is gracious, and I would say, yes, that is all true, but he is also the God of holiness. And his holiness must demand judgment on unrighteousness. And he's very clear about that in Scripture. This Jesus, yes, is the same Son of God. He is the same Lord in the flesh. He is the Savior of the world. He's the Redeemer. He's the kind, merciful high priest. Everything that we read about. But he is also the same Jesus who destroyed these two cities because of their wickedness. And that is exactly what he wants the disciples to know. Why else would he point this out? He's saying to them... If there is someone who you take the glorious message of the gospel to and they reject this message, you leave them to me. And my plan for those who reject this message, the only message that can redeem them out of the pit of damnation is my forgiveness. If they reject that, there can only be one thing left. And that is for my holiness to judge them. And it's going to be so great. Listen to this that as wicked as the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, and God destroyed those cities, for a person to reject the message of the gospel, he says, it will be far worse for them. Far worse. So there is no way, beloved, just even from a passage like this, we can dismiss Jesus as being a different Jesus 
Create him to be something else. He is clearly saying to the disciples, guys, listen, you know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness? This isn't a fairy tale, he's saying. This happened. You weren't living there. But I'm telling you, you know the story. Well, for those who reject the only offer of salvation, the judgment will be far worse. Why? Why will it be far worse? Because the joy of the king himself, Jesus, was in their presence now. The Lord was not just in heaven any longer. He had come to the earth and displayed himself as God. And he says there is no greater judgment that can come on someone who rejects the very God they have seen and heard and sensed and watched and known. For that person, the judgment will be horrific. So it's very clear. Jesus says, don't worry about those who reject this message because I will take care of that in the last day. And that's not a pretty picture to end with. But we have to remember that God is God. And he's not a God of our own making. He answers to no one. He is who he is. But thankfully, and I hope you hear this, thankfully he is a God who offers his redemption to everyone who will accept it. To everyone. No matter who they are. But you can't come to him and make him another God. Amen? All right, so just some instructions for the 12. And so we'd be wise to listen and glean from it as we can, and we'll see more as we get into the instruction for the other disciples in the remainder of the chapter, okay? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your glorious truth. We thank you for several things this morning. One is is that you not only have come and called us to follow you, but you have given to us the very message that we're to take into the world. Not a message of our own. You've not instructed us to conjure up something that's going to cause people to want to fall all over themselves. The message is very simple. You love them and you want to save them from their sin. And you've come to do just that as the Savior. So Lord, help us to go out into the world in our sphere of influence as you've told us, just as you gave to the disciples, you've put us each strategically in the place that you want us to be and now help us to just live in that spot, to be effective for you as you measure it. Lord, help us not to be fearful. Help us not to be like the one servant who hid the talent, but to go and display it and so that you will be pleased regardless of what the world thinks. Lord, we grieve over those whose hearts are darkened. Not that we're better, but just simply because you've given to us the light of truth. And our prayer is that you would do that for every soul and that before it's too late, before judgment must come because holiness demands judgment. If there is no judgment, then holiness is not true holiness. So Father, may we be faithful in doing what you've called us to do and not worry about those that we have no effect on, but leave them into your capable hands. And Lord, we go in your name and we praise you and we honor you with our lips and with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.